Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast. I'm your host, Kamala Ingrid, and I am a certified mind coach, ERYT 200-hour yoga teacher, an herbalist, and also a yoga healer. In this podcast, it has been created just to help those that are going through a healing process and a healing journey. So I am here to explain different ways of finding that mindset of perfect healing and as you're going through your um, life. And also, I want to just let you know this is sponsored by Anchor. So I'll, I'm right now going to introduce you to my first, uh, this, we're on season two, and we're going to my first live, you know, communicating personally. And I am actually taking a leap to basically introduce you to someone all the way in Israel. And um, he came to me uh, via Instagram, so I'm very delighted and honored to have you on my show today. Uh, Gil, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, so first of all, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, my name is Gil, I'm from Israel. And what I can say is that, yeah, recently I think I started focusing a little more than I have before on this whole concept of um, healing and uh, personal development mm -hmm. and uh, going through that I realized that alongside all the wonderful and beautiful things it also brings a sense of uh, maybe some estrangement right from the way things previously were and some relationships as well which brings about uh, a lot of challenges in getting uh, some uh, difficult feedback from friends, from family. And then at that point- Before we in, in, jump into that, can you let us know like what led you, you are an acro yoga teacher, correct? Uh, amongst other things, yes. Yes, what are some of the things you also do today with other people of how you help? Um, right on. Like what else other than acro yoga, what else do you do? So acro yoga is definitely uh, a pillar in my life and I'll be happy to jump in and explain soon what it is and how it helped me. Aside from that, I help people with the narrative creation. So I talk to companies and business people that are trying to raise capital or make sales. Mm -hmm. And then I essentially... Uh, I tell them the first thing they really need to do is focus on their narrative. And once they're, they, I, I do a few workshops to help them to come up with their personal narrative. And usually once that's in place, makes the whole process much easier. Nice. They're really, when they're really in tune with the reason they are doing what they're doing, and the mission behind it, then the, the, the tasks- Becomes easy. Yeah, especially any task that relies on communication and presentation. Nice. And what has led you to this journey of like yoga, acro yoga with others and- Yeah, for sure. Coaching. So I think when I was younger, I always looked for what's beyond and what could be the most fun that fun can be. Mm -hmm. And usually the answer was, well, some alcohol, uh, some sex, uh, maybe, uh, maybe some weed, parties. 
But I realized that while that was the most fun thing that I was aware of, it wasn't all that fun. And then a friend of mine that I met while traveling started getting into acro yoga. And I saw his pictures and his posts and figured that's something that I could really enjoy because one, it's not that difficult. Um, and two, it's super enjoyable. So acro yoga, just for those of you who don't know what it is, it's not really yoga and it's not really acrobatics. Essentially, it's two, two or more people work together in a group to establish certain structures together using each other's body. So usually one is laying on their back and the other person is uh, to some degree flying on their legs. But it requires a, a lot of trust with each other, correct? Yes, yes, a great amount of trust, but also, um, um, also communication and um, excitement and, and focus because what happens there is that because you have someone on you or you're flying on somebody else it can uh, you have to really focus because otherwise you can seriously injure them Correct. so that level of responsibility for each other is one of the things that really helps us get into the flow state when we do acro yoga which yeah. is part of the reason why it's so powerful and then another really good thing about it is the idea that it's a really good uh, method of dealing with today's touch crisis. Mm -hmm. So there is a pretty big touch. I think a lot of people are talking about it. Yeah. Uh, the idea that people are only legitimized to be touching their significant other, maybe a parent or a child as well, but nobody else uh, a real touch, not more oh. than a handshake or a, or, a, or a quick hug. So what has happened during this COVID time since you've come across people and, the, and what happens to those that are fearful of or have trust issues what do you do so i would say this so uh, one covid brings it to a whole nother level mm. because with covid again uh, there's just been uh, yeah more fear around touch than ever before interesting i didn't even think about that because my line of work is completely different from yours i am a healer but i work one-on-one -on -one. And it's mostly people that are ready to come to me. So it's, they're not in that space. I exactly. do know that I've had others that have um, during the COVID kind of like quarantined themselves and I haven't seen them since. Mm -hmm. But for the majority, most of them, you know, are in that trusting space with me and, and we respect our, you know, wearing the mask, but yet at the same well, time, they're open. Say. When COVID started, I was trying to be as safe as I could because I thought people really cared about it. Mm -hmm. But the more I went through the notions of trying to be a very good COVID person, I noticed that most people really don't care. They want to perform an act of caring about COVID, but they don't want to actually Im impact their lives or give up on the things they, they care about for the sake yeah. of COVID. Okay. Um, for example, in Israel, it was very clear that uh, kids were getting COVID in schools and kindergartens. Yet, in Israel, families were sending their kids to school and kindergarten all the time and pressuring the government to allow them to do it because for them, yeah, they didn't want COVID, but 
they were more unable and paralyzed by the fact that they had their kids at home because the Israeli families had some sort of a crisis. Right. And then I'd say that when it comes to, so to my personal experience, I just tried to just, you know, put myself in a place where I won't infect anyone and won't be infected. But then I saw that when I tried to do that, society was responding even more harshly because they were interested more in the performance than in the actual safety. Um, in the same way that people now are taking the vaccine for their health. Well, they could do a lot more healthy choices than just the vaccine. Why stop there? Correct. Because it's performance. And then, um, so for me, at some point, I realized that what I need to do for my own mental sanity or mental uh, health is to, for me, only care as much as is good for me and let other people know what is my level of care about it, and then they can decide what they're doing. Right. I'm not going to be the person responsible for their health choices. I'm just going to inform them that I make my own choices. And if they want to be next to me, I'm not vaccinated yet. Um, and I, I don't know, I hang out with anybody, but I don't go to offices and I don't go to theaters. And I don't go to kindergartens or schools where most people catch Corona. Right, right. You don't go to the masses public or you don't hang out in the bars and things like that where most people would be catching it. Yes, you take your precautions. Yeah, in the bars, they won't let me in, actually. So the, the interesting things about, about not being vaccinated in a country now where most people are vaccinated in Israel is that they won't let me in uh, to so, some places where it's more likely to get Corona. As far as I care, it's amazing because they're not letting me into these places where it's most likely to get anything else as well. Correct. Corona Correct. is not that special. So I'm, I'm happy about it. I see this, this idea that I'm not putting the vaccine in me. It means that I need to put it outside of me in a way. Yeah. So just uh, being, um, yeah, treat my whole experience as, a, as, as, as an experience of choice between health and not health. Now, what, mm -hmm. like where you are now with this whole COVID thing, where, how has it affected you in your health and mental uh, space, basically, in working it's with been others? Very, and it's been extremely difficult, uh, especially the beginning, but then there were, it, it, for the last maybe month and a half, it's been extremely rewarding. I'd say even for the last four months. Okay. So the first, the first six months were difficult. I came to Israel after a year in Vietnam where I was stretching myself pretty thin. You were so, stretching yourself pretty thin, but how did it affect you? Like in, when you say stretching yourself pretty thin, what happened? So what I mean is I was working on a project, a pretty ambitious project and um, working very hard on something I really believed in. I was living there in some sort of a conscious community that uh, I founded and just working extremely hard and being stressed out just by the fact that things need to be done, money needs to come in to support the project, da da da. I had lots of volunteers, some were more committed than others, but I was extremely committed to feeding all of them and making sure they're well, which was a mistake on my part because it's better to just relax a little more about it. Correct. Um, but then at some point I developed really severe allergies um, and I was incredibly symptomatic way before Corona started, but it lasted into Corona, well into Corona. So it became from being this inconvenience to this something that would make people afraid of me. Yeah. Because I had rash all over my skin, everywhere. 
I was sneezing. I was not in a good physical place. Yeah, yeah. And then they also, they shut down tourism and they shut down schools, which were two main sources of income. So I had no income anymore. My parents were not supportive. So I couldn't use any of their money to just help myself through this. And it's difficult to stay in Vietnam as is because it's, it's a country where you have to keep getting out, coming back in to renew the visa. It's not like being home. Got it. And yeah, so I was exhausted. I was worried. And then I started worrying about some other things that had nothing to do with Corona. Just some things I was worrying about, right? Some and once you open up that Pandora box, everything floods in. So how exactly. did you take control? What did you do to, to take control? So the first thing I did, which I wasn't sure if it was, I'm still not sure if it was so bright of me, but I went back home and um, I had a really difficult flight with like maybe taking four or five different planes and changing the flight route during, while in one of the airports. And again, I'm flying and I'm extremely symptomatic. Extremely. Yeah. And I knew it wasn't Corona, but I knew that no one would care. So when I was during my flights, I was wearing a mask and everything to protect myself and others. But also they, they were looking at me because I was the only one wearing a mask. Oh. And I knew that if they would look under my shirt or, you know, or under my sleeves, they would see that I'm burning. Yeah, so it was, I kind of felt like, I kind of felt like I was smuggling drugs. In a way. Okay. okay. Like I'm carrying something that I don't want them to see. Yeah, so yeah. Stressful. And I arrived in Israel very tired. And then at night it was difficult for me to sleep because I was jet lagged. But during the day, my parents and other friends wanted to see that I'm functional, so they wouldn't let me sleep during the day. <laughs> and this routine was very difficult because I was also in quarantine. So I was a, a, a target that was very easy to, um, it, there, I had no way of establishing privacy. So what did you do to, to give yeah, you? The, the situation just kept deteriorating for a while until a few months into that, a friend of mine who understood the situation just gave me a place in Jerusalem where I moved and I finally had my space. But basically the first number one thing that worked for me personally is having space. Space. Yeah, space to talk on the phone about what, because at my house where my parents live, there is no isolation. They could hear anything I talk about. So it would be very difficult for me to say to a friend, let's say that I'm worried because a friend of mine called me and they have an STD, whatever, things Mm -hmm. that could have you worried. I couldn't talk about things that would have me worried next to my parents. So it just held things in. But once I moved, on my own and had my space, it was much better for me. And then um, from there, I moved to Tel Aviv. Finally, I moved into a shared house with lots of uh, what you like alternative people or misfits and rejects or uh, call it what you will. But just these people who travel or just on the outskirts of society a, a little more. So they were open, very open-minded to, to doing yeah, things. A lot more than, than usual than most people. Have you ever tried like different types of breath work that help you kind of achieve? Yeah, yeah, a lot of that as well. I would say that these are things that I did before. um, Yeah, so for example, when I was really panicking during uh, Corona because I have asthma as well. And they were doing this, uh, they were suggesting that people with asthma extremely 
in danger for if Corona hits them. And I'm, I'm quite a hypochondriac as well, or at least, uh, yeah, I, I used to think of myself as one. So when I'd get the feeling of asthma or shortness of breath, I would do the Wim Hof breath. Do you know of the Wim Hof breath work? Well, that's been long before, you know, this is something when I took yoga, that's been even way before that. So he just yeah. made it very popular. What now I it's, say about now it. it's called a Wim Hof, but yeah, yeah, that type of breathing is the fire breath. So I say about him that he, he convinced white people to breathe. Hey, whatever it takes, if it takes it, just like I think Madonna convinced everybody to do yoga, you yeah. know, you had yep. Sting doing it way back then, but nobody paid attention. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. Madonna did it as a big deal. And Christy Turlington, and then before you knew it, uh, yoga became a fad. Before it was a taboo when I was doing it as a child. Everybody yeah, was in a cult. And I'm like, no. But then when Madonna put it out there, it became, yeah. you know, so, hey, if he, he can bring this out to light, by all means. But we've been doing this, yogis have been doing this for years. And a lot of this stuff is now slowly surely coming out to light and you know buddhists have been doing this too as well the breath work why do you think they can go up in those mountains with just yeah. a cloak on them and and deal with the weather perfectly well and not get sick Agreed. You know, even during this whole covid time a lot of the things i've done have been very naturally yogic and immune system keeping it up no different than Wim Hof. you take a cold shower once a day get your immune system boosted up eat very well i'm a, I'm a vegetarian so and on days I'm a vegan, but mainly vegetarian because I do like my, yeah. you know, my certain cheese and things like that. So I will go ahead and I eat very healthy. And I, I, you know, no one would, you know, ever know. I'm gonna be 50 this year. Nobody knows that. Everyone's like, what? I have, you know, I basically am myself. I'm a very free spirit person, very open loving grounded and i love helping people and i've been doing this since i've been a child you know so um it, it is one of the things that um healing naturally has been a calling since i was a kid so i do right. a lot of research i'm not a psychologist but i basically have a lot of information through a lot of my friends that are psychologists they've given me books i've done a lot of research and work on my own and established a very much understanding on how the mind and body connection works, especially from my own healing process as a child, you know, so, and I still am learning, you know, I'm open to so much more information from different so, people, so. I, I'd say that, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. So in, in Vietnam, where I was for uh, most of 2019 and some of uh, 2020, I was there for a year in the, overarching goal of me being there or idea was to really advance my practice, find out more practices, more communities that practice. And it was interesting because I found that there weren't many communities there. It's not that new age place I thought it was to be. It's not Thailand or India. Really? What I found there were some expats who were doing their thing, like they're yoga studios or whatever aerial yoga some other other flow arts and then there were the vietnamese doing their thing and they were doing it separately mm. but i started just going to many events of just vietnamese or just expats 
and just exploring everything that happened there. And after a while, I was making the connection between the two groups, the, the people in my life from the two groups. So wow. over there is where I started. I'd say in Vietnam, there were a few healing practices that I really enjoyed. One, their acro yoga community is incredible. Yeah. Two, massages. In Vietnam, you could get a massage for five bucks. You could get an incredible massage or for 10 bucks. And it's just, you can do it every other day if you want before you go to work and yeah, you really have to do nice. the thing. Nice, nice. And how, like, so what can you tell our listeners regarding like healing trauma and how have you encountered that part of your life? Like, how I would you- say, I would say there's many, many practices that I tried. I'd say that acro yoga in general, like if, if we talk about different disciplines and how they help. So acro yoga, one is the idea of touch. Uh, we talked about the crisis of touch where people feel inappropriate touching other people. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that if you think about a single person who lives in Virginia, far from their family, and they don't have a girlfriend at the time, it may very well be that they're not touching anybody else for, I don't know, two, three, five, 10, 20 years until the rest of their lives. And and touching is more than simply an emotional um, um element like uh, it, yes. it, it, it also physically discharges and recalibrates your rhythm it's part of our human nature to be touched yeah. as babies we need touch in order to grow if you look at almost any other animal what they do most of the days eat hang out and touch each other and talk now humans have stopped touching each other on a general level But also now, another thing that I've been noticing, many humans have stopped talking. Because if they work as an analyst and they can text anyone what they're doing and they work doing some spreadsheets, it may very well be that they haven't talked for a day, a week, a year. There's no reason to talk. It's interesting you bring that up because there's a lot of people today, they, since the whole COVID, we've, our online has become even more pronounced, predominantly stronger everything is online everybody can't get off the phone i turn and i look when i'm driving i'll find the cars next to me all on their phones it's like this becomes such a ad addiction to be on those phones and probably be on a social media platform which i find very like disturbing because i'm one to either either i'm listening to a music or i'm listening to a podcast i don't get on my text unless i know i'm parked somewhere And yeah. I am not driving just, you know, I'm very, very cautious and old school when it comes to that, because I know those things can distract a lot. And I've seen so many distractions where people are driving recklessly and I, it, it bothers me. I've been hit because of that. Um, I've had somebody hit me because of, you know, their distraction. So it's like, it, it, it bothers me, you know, to have people yeah. not, um, and now that's their form of communication. So there's no way they're interact. They don't know how to interact. Our younger children today don't interact other than a phone and exactly. they don't know how to play. They don't know how to like inter, like they, they just don't, the social, the schools here now in the States are eliminating PE, eliminating all the creativity, arts and crafts. And I'm thinking, wow, what are these children left with? 
Yeah. Yeah, it's so sad. Yeah. We're turning. We're actually going. Yeah. We're worse than going backwards. <laughs> remove arts and crafts. Stay with farts and cars. Oh my God, it's crazy. But that's so. You bring that up, you know. But uh, yeah, I've noticed that too with this COVID. It's not. So that was about. That was about talking, and then in acro yoga, because you need constant communication, it really challenges the participants to really evolve as communicators because often you need to say something or to express uh, an uncomfortable opinion because your safety relies on it. Somebody asks to do an exercise with you and you don't think that it's a good idea. So in acro yoga, you're challenged to communicate that, which is very positive. And then obviously there is the sense of success and doing things together. And it's a sport that's about collaboration rather than competition. So that was incredible for me. And another thing about it before I move to the next item is that I see everyone as teachers. I think that anything that you know, you should teach it. And anything that you feel that you can't teach, you don't really maybe know it. Now, the thing is, I don't think you need to be the best acro yoga person to teach. I think you just need to be a little bit better than whoever it is you're teaching. So let's say you do karate and you have, uh, you've just been doing karate for a year. So you're not yet ready to be a teacher, mm -hmm. but maybe you are ready to be a teacher for someone who's never, ever done karate. So acro yoga uh, quickly put me in a place where I was able to teach people who've never done acro yoga. So even if I was just teaching them the basics, I still had the pleasure of teaching, which is really good and showing them a whole new discipline, a whole new way of moving the body and communicating with other people and experiencing movement. That it was just incredibly rewarding. Then the next method I'd like to discuss is Osho dynamic meditation. Have you talked about that in your series yet? Not with, but with my clients, yes. I, some of my clients, not everybody. Usually when I was right. doing teacher training, yes. Go ahead. So the, the dynamic meditation I absolutely love. I think it, um, it represents uh, a notion that I found to be um, in, opposite, in opposition to the usual notion. So what I see in Western society or the way I experience it is that when someone has an incredible sense of excitement, what they tell him is tame it down. Let's say you're very much in love or very much about your work at the moment or very afraid of something or stressed out, what they would tell you is just find a way to bring it down. Now Osho says something else. He says, find the right setting to exaggerate it. Let's say you're scared, right? Of You're scared of your son driving on their car. So during the dynamic meditation, one of the things I would do is I'd say, the son is driving on the car, and I'm so afraid. And then they'd say, take that fear and exaggerate it times a million and then times a million again. So I'd say, I'm scared that my son would die. I'm scared that it would kill other people as they die. I'm scared that because of that, a whole war would start. I'm scared that the whole universe would be destroyed. I'm scared that I'm so scared. I'm scared of being scared. I'm scared of death and scared of being alive. And then you take it so far, this being scared feeling, so removed from your experience that when you think back to your original thing you're scared of, all of a sudden you look at it from a different way. 
So you kind of like took that feeling that maybe was stored in your neck or in your stomach, you take it and by exaggerating it, you wash it out to other organs and then outside to the world rather than keeping you're it creating, in. You're creating a lot of cortisol in the body by doing that. Do. That's why I'm not so keen with it. I'm, I have to know about it, but it's because it's like drawing an adrenaline, um, a fight or flight is basically what you're doing. Um, Definitely. But my method of taking it has been a little bit different only because it's worked for me. Everybody works differently. Yeah. So what works for me has been where when I, cause I know it's uh, fear is, you know, something that it's, that is, that is a, apparently not real. You know that we bring our things yeah. and I always look at things in two different ways, two points. There's a positive and a negative outcome. So when I look right. at fear and something that I don't want to do or something that I'm afraid, for example, what I'm doing right now with you, this is not something I would have done before COVID. Mm -hmm. Like the Zooming and doing this kind of podcast has not been my thing. I've always been in-person type of person. I have a thing of going in front of others that don't know me or talking like on, you know, how I see you sometimes on your podcast, on your Instagram and you're talking to the phone. I have to have a human connection. I cannot talk like that. I feel very, I don't, I don't feel right. Just, I don't know, I don't have the right words, but it feels weird to me. I can tell so, you, it doesn't feel right to me as well. But some people are <laughs> comfortable with it. I don't feel comfortable. So this is very grounding for me and new for me to do. I have done a podcast, I started, my Kamala Ingrid, my life journey. And I did the whole first season all with my voice, no face, just my voice, that's it. This is new because I'm going to put this on YouTube for the first time. So this is new for me. This is a healing process and a journey for me to say, okay, I can do this. Congratulations. But I have to talk about it. You know, I have to set myself, I write it down. I, write, I create vision boards or I create a, a journal, I write it down. The goals and I reward myself as I go along okay I did it this was my breakthrough what's my next back, back in Vietnam so as I said I, I founded this conscious community and I, I, I um, published a call for highly intuitive people to come join yeah. and one of the people that joined his name is Ilya and he's from Switzerland and he was a very successful young professional and also got into uh, professional coaching and life coaching and one of the activities that he did for us <clears throat> related to um to what you just said about about getting out of your comfort zone so what he said is that we have this comfort zone right where we mostly are mm -hmm. most of us and then outside of it there is a very big place called the panic zone right now between the comfort zone and the panic zone there is another layer that is very thin and it's called the stretch zone hmm. where you're not quite comfortable but you're not yet panicking and the more we go out to the stretch zone and experience the stretch zone then it becomes a part of the comfort zone right right we extend our comfort zone to be, all right, now I feel comfortable riding a bike. 
Now I feel comfortable talking to my girlfriend's mother. Now I feel comfortable um, doing whatever it is I wasn't doing before. And then there is the opposite idea. If we stay in the comfort zone, uh, it means we're never quite at the edge of it because the edge is the stretch zone. So the more we're centered in the comfort zone, the more it collapses. And then you can really see it with many friends and family. Oh, you see where... it. Yeah, you definitely see it, especially with society. Like when I look at the elders, those that stayed in comfort, you know, especially the older generation are so used to doing everything in, in a in a formality order kind of thing. My mom did this, so now I do this. And you know, and if they pass it on, but there's always that 1% that breaks the rules and 1% that strives for more. I was that 1%. <laughs> I decided to make it a whole change and break a lot of um, barriers from my own culture because, you know, I felt like it, it wasn't right for me. I didn't feel like I needed to pass you know, continue walking the same path. I wanted to walk a different path. And 100%. I just felt like I always looked at the positive of everything and saw whenever I did something that wasn't in my comfort zone or what I wanted to do, it had an outcome of what I didn't want to see or an outcome that I later then regretted, you know, doing. Why did I do this? I, I wasn't in my nature to do it. I didn't want to do it. Why did I feel? And so that lack of control of within myself kind of gave me the impulse to go and said, you know what? I, it's my, my life, my world, my space. And I always did it with good intentions for myself. I never did anything to um, it's, um, to spite anybody. It was more for me. And then when I had my daughter, I raised her the way I wanted to, even though my family was trying to raise them, you know, I love them and I respect them, but it was, I said to them, you raised us the way you wanted to. Nobody told you what to do. Now let me raise my daughter the way I want. Exactly. And I raised her with such an open mind and very grounded formality that I didn't even have those structures. I had to do a lot of, you know, research, reading, um, and the bonding was hard because for me, because I was so used to a certain way of um, an autocratic father and a, and a passive mother. So I had to find that I wasn't going to be nor one or the other. I needed to were find- you, were, you, were you a single mother or? Yes. With a partner? With a, with a oh, child. Wow. Yeah, she was, I, I became single when she was five. So from that okay. point on, I, I, I raised her all to myself and it's how I wanted. And I focused on work and, and being a mom. Incredible. And successfully did that. Uh, she's now a beautiful 24-year-old, very accomplished and beautiful daughter. Can't I? Every stage was a, a, a blessing. I have had friends that told me they've had certain stages with their children. I can't tell you that I never experienced that. I had such a beautiful bond with her to this day that everybody thinks that we're sisters. <laughs> they don't mm. think that I'm mother and daughter because we don't even act like that. We act, I respect her so much and I see her for who she is and never like looked at her on, on you know, whenever I, I didn't like something, I would tell her, okay, this is what's gonna happen. A, gives you this consequences, B, this one, you decide. Yeah. And she learned to understand that concept of parenting. And she made great choices to this day, I can't complain, you know. 
Yeah, I think trust is uh, is trust grows the more you use it. So yeah. uh, and it's hard because yeah. I didn't have trust. For me, the trust was broken mm -hmm. as a child. So I had a hard time trusting others, but when it was my own child, it, it was easy to to develop it and understand it. And then later in my years, um, I got into plant medicine and mm -hmm. um, that's where the trust started coming in for me because it was what, um, it brought it out to light for me. I'm happy you talk, you're getting back to plant medicine yeah. because um, I was going to talk a little bit about how in, in Vietnam, really a part of the idea of my community was to help me and them and others develop our intuition. And one of the best exercises there was during a tantric workshop that we organized, which was seven days long with um, 26 people from all over the world of which 13 are from Vietnam. And the teacher is an Israeli and what she did in one of the exercises, she said, right now we're having, a, um, we, she called it a head and body um, dialogue. So she had us hold space for one another in groups of four and each person um, at some point stood in the middle of that group with three people around them, would do a little bit of shaking and then talk as if they are their head or brain or whatever mind talking mm -hmm. to the rest of the body. So people would say things like, I don't like it that I'm so smart as the head and I make all the right calls, but you as the body, you slow me down. Or you as the body, you're not as strong or as beautiful as I'd like you to be for us to do well. Mm. So that, that comes from the brain, but that's usually the position that we take is the position of the brain. But then when each of us has switched, had switched to the position of the body, talking back to the brain, it's very clear that oftentimes the body knows the answer way before the brain what you call gut feeling or weak knees or anything else that just the body is screaming at, at the beginning in a more subtle way. And then as you make more and more mistakes, the body just starts to collapse. Right. And, and just listening to the body from a very early stage is very difficult because we're being taught over and over to ignore it, especially in school where they submit us to a sitting position forever and we're not allowed to talk touch, play, or do anything for eight hours, it really creates a strong sense of dissociation between the mind and the body. But as we unlearn whatever happened in the educational system, we can recalibrate the mind and the body and give more respect to the body, which is highly more intuitive Absolutely. than the mind, as in my know, opinion. That's what they call neuroplasticity. You're creating new... new um, yeah. New... Um, growth cells in our brain to create new patterns, new ways of thinking, which is what my 21 day course is all about. A 21 day reset mm -hmm. is all about creating new. So about process. plant medicine. Hmm? So when in Vietnam, I really wanted to focus on not using any, um, any um, uh, substances that would change our mental state. I wanted us to do it through our human interaction and creativity and whatnot. So, let it be breath work, tantric work, um, martial arts, uh, uh, arts in general, music, right? But then um, back in Israel, one, 
when I was in Jerusalem, just still being angry at my parents for all the time that I spent with them in my village and just, just being angry and emotionally stiff. After one friend gave me a joint, it immediately helped me. Just helped me without having to understand how it helps me, it helped me. Mm -hmm. And then that was a really big part of helping me just uh, getting past the anger. Yeah. And then when I got um, a few months later, more than a few months later, I went to this one trance party near the Dead Sea. And a friend, uh, a very smart friend, gave me some mushrooms. And just eating them was also a very, very good thing for me uh, during that kind of trance party festival because. The, the thing is that these plants have their own, it's not just about what I want from them, it's also about their message and interaction with me. Right, right. Well, those messages are already embedded in our head. However, we're like, we suppress it and exactly. we don't want to deal with it. So when these plant medicine, whether it's ayahuasca, San Pedro, or mushrooms, whatever you take, uh, psilocybin, mm -hmm. whatever it is that you're taking, it brings it to surface because it needs to come out. It needs, it's something that is still there hidden, but it needs to push it out. And the only way is to confront it, but be open when you are doing plant medicine is about to be open to receiving that and being able to say, okay, this is what I need to do now. I accept and I release, you know, and your body then starts releasing those inhibitors that kept you stuck for so long and you end up growing and you find yourself why did i hold on so long for that because what well, beauty about the plant mm -hmm. medicine it opens the heart so beautifully that yeah. you realize it makes you feel so at peace and so what yeah i i just i i realize it's like um the messages that come in you know a lot of times when i did it i i got a lot of messages as a healer as a um, that I heal others that I am but it at the same time it brought me information of what I needed to work on and I thought I found this so fascinating and I started reading a lot on it through a psychology book I, I followed Dr. Um, um, Dr. Gabor Mate mm -hmm. who has done it as well and you can look him up on YouTube and it's amazing because he talks about healing trauma through this and I found it very fascinating to dive into that through a psychologist's point of view as well. So I read books on it and I realized how much incredible that these ancient um, tribal people from you know the south of Amazons and they've been doing this for years. And here we're just like, figuring this out, you know, and here they've been doing it for years and healing their people and being in touch with the land and in touch with themselves. And all we're doing is pulling ourselves further away from touch. So what, what happened with us is, um, yeah, there was a, a very big movement against witchcraft and against uh, just Western shamanism, which uh, was the, the peak of it was in the Salem witch trial. Oh, I know. And then after that, we entered this uh, century of um, extreme male dominance and lack of um, lack of mysticism. And they called this um, this period the period of enlightenment, right? Of scientific enlightenment. Yeah. And in that period, we had the two world wars, 
some deadly ideologies and uh, civic wars, and that was the most deadly century, I think, uh, in, in different ways. Maybe there were other deadly centuries, uh, there were other plagues, but that one was a tough one, the 20th century. And um, now it appears that the witches are making a comeback. So um, in, in, um, when I took these shrooms in that, in that party, it was, the party was outside and it was really nice. There were lots of people and there was a big bonfire and police over there because of some geopolitical um, you know, warp that exists there, they can't do anything. So when they can't disperse it, either know it's Corona time. I think you have places like that in Florida too, where the youngsters were just doing anything that the police didn't want them to do. But um, then what happened, the, the, the shroom in my head, I just felt this thing where I, I felt, am I allowed to enjoy this party? Am I not allowed to enjoy this party? Have, am I really past this bad feeling? How did I cause this bad feeling? I had all these thoughts about me before the party. But when, when, I was, when I was high on the shrooms, I had this one mantra in my head just saying, dance, just dance, no. dance. And there was just no other words were coming out. Any thought I had, it was just silenced but by the word, just dance. This is your time to dance. It's not your time to do other things. Just dance now, dance. And even if you're not dancing, just shake your leg. Just every time, add a little more rhythm than you did before. Nod your head. Whatever you do, just add a little bit more dancing to it, more and more. And through that decision, through that uh, experience, I, ha I had a great time there. And I went back every weekend for the trans parties over there. That was in December. Until in the end of the month, I moved to the Dead Sea, to this community that lives just out there in the nature, on the shore, uh, an extremely... Uh, you know, people just come there as individuals, but over there, something happens between them. Um, and yeah, not things that I can describe as nothing short of uh, mystical. Beautiful. And in a, in a positive, like right now, what would you like to share? A positive, like note, a highlight that you wanted before we close the segment? What yeah, is 100 things that you want to share with the world today? Yeah, definitely. I would say that while this path this healing path that you mentioned is is a difficult one, and it brings uh, it brings some conflict with uh, with most of other people. Just because most people that I meet don't really choose to be in that stretch zone; they choose the comfort zone. So when you're a stretchy person, you bring you. I find that I often bring discomfort to the people around me because I bring it to myself as well. I see it as, a, as an important feature. Okay. What I can say is that it brings a lot of pain, but it also brings a great sense of resilience. And with time, you learn how to do it in a less painful way. But keep in mind that every pain you learn to deal with opens you up to different types of pain. The idea is not living pain-free. The idea is living free of the concept that there shouldn't be any pain. So on a positive note, what I will say is, uh, no matter how old you are, you can hit puberty again. Um, you're, no matter what you think about yourself, as long as you are healthier than you were yesterday and happier than you were yesterday, not by a lot, by 1% or 0.1%, 
as long as it, as as you really try, you're gonna get somewhere very very special uh, pretty quickly. And if you do the um, calculation of how much better you become after a year when you become one percent better every day, it gets to a lot to, to a lot. Yeah. And lastly, I would just say, yeah, the the amount of love, of pleasure of meaningful connections coming your way if you just choose to start is just unreal and whenever nobody else wants to talk to you or listen to you or uh, give you any advice always feel free to call me and I'm, i bet uh, kamala as well would say the same Thank so just if you're listening to this know that you have at least two comrades who know of a lot of a lot other comrades as well that are here for you and, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's a great party. We're happy you decided to join as well. Maybe, maybe you've been partying all along and uh, yeah, happy to be partying with you and everybody else. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gil. I will also put your content of your, um, I guess your Instagram so they can reach out. Instagram, uh, I'd say uh, my two best ones are in my three best are Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Okay. Just, um, I'll connect with you afterwards so you can send me the um, the LinkedIn and the YouTube one and I'll put it on my podcast, mm -hmm. on my YouTube account. All right, Amazing. so everybody can reach out to Gil or if you're in Israel, you know, go ahead and get in touch. Go try an Afro yoga and feel that liberation, feel that freedom. <laughs> and, you know, just live one day at a time. Be happy, set yourself uh, baby steps of goals and Anything that's a con is a, is accomplished. Just baby steps. That's all I can say. Yeah. Don't run yourself to the ground. Thank you, Gil. It was a pleasure having you, and an honor. And we'll be in touch soon. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything that you told me before, during, and will tell me after this podcast. It's extremely meaningful and positive for me to uh, call you a friend and be in touch. Thank and, you. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your information and your knowledge. Have a good one. Enjoy and be safe, okay? That soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.